0: Praise God. Happy New Year, everyone. Feliz Año Nuevo. Por ellos que hablan en español. Praise God. It is a new year. What's that? (laughs) I said extra change. Yes. Yes. It's a new year, as you all know. The year started with a bang. Let's uh, keep our brother in prayer. (laughs) That uh, cannot be any fun. Walking on feet that have been operated on. Um, But uh, this year, so far, as you know, last year was a tough year, but it was a good year. Um, We had many things that uh, that we had done that we hadn't done in the past, and uh, that was awesome. We renewed some things that we hadn't done for a long time, and. We had more baptisms last year than uh, I think we've had since we've been here in Provo. Praise God to the, uh, you know, in spite of the enemy and what he wants to do or wants to tear down. So praise God for all those things. But this year so far has started with a bang, quite literally. Uh, If you know what I'm talking about, just looking at the news, somebody mentioned just before, came up a little bit ago with all that's going on across the, the other side of the world. And uh, there's many people that are concerned, many people that are like chicken little and the sky is falling and everything's going to be bad and horrible and so on and so forth. Well, what's the one constant in all these things is that God is in control of all these things. He is in control and He knows what He's doing. Um, Some of the news sources that I have um, show the people there in Iran people there in Iraq, people in the Middle East are praising God. They are uh there's uh Iran as one of the biggest growing underground churches in the world along with China. All the place where repression and oppression is are are where the places that God is working. And those people um and I heard directly from people that are that are there in uh, in um, in Iran um saying Hey, those things that you see on television that are shown with uh, people marching in the streets, crying out "Death to America! Death to America! Death to America!" That's nonsense. That's not the majority of the people. It's the oppre- it's the people who oppress us that are putting these things out there so that the world will think that this is what we think, and it's not. We're thankful for a strong America. We're thankful for a strong America that has our back. And some of them even went so far as to say they feel more hopeful to overthrow their oppressive government right now than they have for the last, um, for the last 12 years. So they're hopeful right now. They believe they've got someone who will, with power that will stand behind them and the people will get that message out. And thank God for VPN and for technology and capitalism, because if it wasn't for that, many of these things, messages wouldn't be getting out there. But they are, and these repressive governments cannot uh, stop that because they don't have a way to track who's doing, sending what. And and uh, you can, you know, if you don't know what VPN is, it's a, it's a technologically advanced way of surfing the internet, and you can show like I can choose to be in and uh, Los Angeles, California, even though I'm not. And that's where they start their searches, and they can't tell exactly where I'm at, and that's that's great. And that's what these people are using, these kinds of things, these technologies, to get this message out. Hey, we're hopeful. Christ is uh, is the, the center of many of these movements. In Hong Kong, same thing. So all these things, There's there's a lot of things going on in the world. There's a lot of... Uh, people on TV, on the Alphabet News, that want us to believe the worst of the worst, but there's good news, and the best thing, like I said, in in wrapping it all up, is is the um, the amazing fact that there is one God, and He's in control of everything, and I love that. So praise God for that. Um, this uh, last year, or yes, last week, I was. Uh, um, I thought, I toyed with the idea of coming here and worshiping because I, I missed y'all and I was like, ah, I, it feels like I've been gone for a month. I'm not kidding. That's what it feels like. It's only been like a week and then some, but it feels like a, like a month. And, um, especially with, uh, uh, you know, I apologize about, uh, I thought about with, uh, doing this, picking up the study this week, but I've got some things I want to do here that I just not going to have the time to, to, uh, put forth, uh, the effort to, to uh, do the study, so we'll do that on the fifteenth for sure. Okay, so we'll pick that back up on the fifteenth, and then go from there. And we'll continue in our series, and then we'll um, we'll continue in, in that. But uh, it's a uh, it's a time of uh, it's been a time of reflection, and it, well, I was sharing with the worship team earlier um, that you know the last week it was it was a, it was a Sunday of disappointment. And discouragement, but it was also a time of encouragement, and that's good. I, I went to a place, and, and uh, it was one of the biggest congregations in, uh, in uh, Salt Lake City, which would probably make it the biggest one in probably all of Utah. But um, <clears throat> apart from the, I'm not going to be a musical critic, but when it came time for the message, I was really discouraged. I was like, oh, there's so many people here. And the, the pastor got up and he he said, "Well, you know, every year we us pastors get together and we we have watched throughout the year the, some sermons that we've watched we've liked and we kind of check on the ones that we like the best and we compare and then we vote and we decide which one we thought was the best sermon of 2019." And it's not one that came from within their own body; it was one that was on the internet that you know anybody can watch. And, and maybe like many of you are even right now, I was kind of apprehensive going, what? Like, man, because I would like for a fifth Sunday to, to actually see a, a body working in just the normal things that they do. That's what I always go there for to see what, you know, be fed and be fellowship with other Christians and believers and see what they do. And it's always some different thing that they're doing. It's weird. Um, and, uh, he said, this is the pastoral staff got together and voted on this. And this was the best sermon that we thought we could find on the, for us in the 2019. And he says, so here it goes. And they had a big, really nice system and thing. the video starts. And lo and behold, it was Andy Stanley. I'm like, oh, you gotta be kidding me. And I've talked about him before. And so I'm not going to hide anything, um, I think some of the things that he teaches are just—he's the one that wants to—he's uh, a pastor that, at any given Sunday, could be twenty to thirty thousand people attending the services. And he says that as Christians, we need to unhitch ourselves from the Old Testament. That guy. And it wasn't—it wasn't, it wasn't his—that uh, wasn't the sermon series that they picked. It was—it was another one. And for the first, like I don't know, five or ten, however long it was, it seemed like forever. All he was talking about was Instagram. How many of you are familiar with Instagram. I'm kinda sort of, yeah. And I'm like <laughs> I'm like, okay, maybe this is gonna go somewhere. But he just was going nonstop, so I finally just like, I I can't do this. I'm I'm out of here. Thank God. And the reason I mentioned that is because on the other hand, I also know of places where we can go and find solid teaching. And I did, and I was encouraged. Because here was another, and there wasn't nearly as many people and uh, um, it wasn't this big fancy building and it wasn't all this stuff. But you know what was there? The Word of God. They Cracked open the Bible, they were reading directly out of there and all the references for the most part were all biblical and he was preaching and it was awesome, it was amazing. And it just reminded me that you know, the, there's a there's a new year. The old year has passed. We're in 2020. By the way, you guys remember the Jetsons? Remember what years those were in? 2020. Yeah. <laughs> they were. Yeah. Where's our flying cars? Where's all our houses up in the air? Where's our Where's our Rosie the robot? You know. Well, it's like, man, where's where's all that stuff? And with all the um, all the stuff that's going on, and and uh, the the pastor there, uh, um, Rich Sanford. I, I love I love him. His uh, his vision and his his uh, um, his preaching is really solid. He's on the radio. You can find him on on the radio there on Truth. And yes, I'm endorsing another uh, pastor. That's that's great to be able to do that. Not have to talk negatively about someone. But it was really solid and really awesome. And it was, it was off of, off of that teaching that I wanted to, to open up this year because, um, you know, I've titled the message today, the gospel in 2020, or I could have had the gospel in the year 2020, just to make it more dramatic. But the gospel, you know, since the very inception of the gospel, um, one of the things that is true of the very beginning, Fifty days after Jesus' resurrection, something new started. God was doing something new. He had spoken it, and it was anticipatory. It was something that he had called and spoken, but it was hidden within the pages of Scripture, of Holy Red. And most people were not privy to what was what he was doing and so uh, here comes the pentecost and all of a sudden something new happened something incredible and out of that of course was born the gospel jesus had mentioned mentioned in the in the gospels about the gospel that there was good news but that wasn't the first time that it was heard it was from the old testament and the good news is that the good news is still the good news today. It's the same good news, and I guess the the point that I'm making in opening with this, with that comparison of the two different places, was when you hear the gospel, you know it. It's genuine, and the gospel is as old as time itself. But I wanted to look at it through the eyes of of uh, someone that we could relate to, someone that we should be able to see and understand in in a certain way. Because the gospel, as it says in, in Ephesians, um, and we will finish that, we will finish Ephesians. We're really close. Um, but we uh, uh the great the, you know we uh the gospel is really simple. It's that Christ died on the cross, and that he was buried, and that he rose again on the third day. That was what God intended to do. And Paul put it this way, he said, it is by grace that you are saved. Through faith, and that not of yourselves, it's a gift of God, and not of works lest man should boast. And he goes on to say that we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. And so the gospel is simple, and it's straightforward, and it's the same. It was the same in 2019 as it is in 2020. And the gospel is not unhitching ourselves from the Old Testament. It's far from that. In fact, it's having to link yourself up with the Old Testament in order for it to make any sense. You have to have the both. And so the gospel, looking at the Old Testament, um, I borrowed from uh, from my brother uh, Rich Sanford, and I want to this morning spend some time in um, in 2 uh, Chronicles. 2 Chronicles is where we're going to be and we're going to be in chapter 33. <clears throat> and we're going to look at one of the kings, uh, one of the characters of the Old Testament. And there's a reason why this spoke to me so much when, uh, when I heard his message, but then I, I wanted to uh, bring that um, here, because I want us to see a picture and understand that the gospel is alive and well, and it's always been dependent on one thing. It's always been dependent on one thing. It's always been dependent on God. And it's been dependent not only on God, but on His grace. And even here, we're going to see that. So we're going to read through um, through chapter uh, 33. And one of the things that I wanted to, to uh, share... Also is uh, um, this year as we go along I want to keep in mind you in your bulletins I always leave in there to pray for the uh, um, those who are still um, stuck in the uh, LDS church and, and that God would open up their eyes but also to pray for the for the persecuted church um, this a this, uh, couple of days ago I was reading of this it's just a sad story really. Um, uh, in India the heavily Hindu, um, country of, of India, the Christians there have to go underground. They have to have house churches and do it in private because they're persecuted. That's no different than Pentecost. From the very inception of, of the church, this has always been our legacy. And it's just part and parcel of what we have to deal with. We have been so blessed to be able to be in a country where the focus was the gospel. That was the focus of the founding of this country when you do the actual history and uh, look at those things. And so um, in India, the story that I read, there was uh, 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 the militant Hindus who were infiltrating these little house churches and they were finding... It kind of reminds you of what Paul wrote, that some of the Jews, as he wrote, and I can't remember which book it was exactly, but it was in the book of Acts, I believe, that he said that they were, they were coming in amongst us and they were spying out our liberties. Galatians. And it was that idea, and they were coming in, and they were looking at all the things that they were doing, and so they called the, uh, the police, and they were what the, the Christians were doing, and how dare they, these Christians, how dare they pray in the name of Jesus to bring healing to people, to anoint them with oil, and to uh, sprinkle them with holy water so that they could be baptized and things like that. And so they brought up false charges and called in the police and were arrested. They, were, they arrested in one particular little church body. Uh, they arrested the pastor and the... Um, The senior pastors and the associate pastors and and, uh, took them to jail, and there they are with false charges of practicing medicine unlawfully. And it's reported that uh, some of these guys that had reported, called the police, doctored their water so there was some funky deal in there and said, See, they're practicing medicine. They're trying to heal people. And they're being persecuted. A phony baloney charge like that, where all they're doing is anointing people with oil and sprinkling them with uh, with water. It's it's something that is not new. It's something that has been going on since the very beginning. And the reason why I bring it, this was just a story fresh from last week. And it's just going to continue. Um, I talked about Iran, talked about um, Iraq, talked about um, China, these places like this, and Burma. Um, these areas where the gospel has to be kept underground because of persecution. But you know what they can't do? They can't stamp it out. The more oppressive they get, the more it grows. Because the more desperate people get, the more they understand who they are and what they are and what they need. And that's what the gospel does. It penetrates Deep within the surface, uh, deep beyond the surface of, the, of who we are. And it goes deep within what we are. And it reveals who we are. And when we see that and we're honest with ourselves, we realize we need the gospel. We need the hero of the gospel. We need that supermanch of the gospel, namely Jesus Christ. And I want to see that through the eyes of, uh, of the writer here in, in Chronicles and so, um, let's, uh, have a moment of prayer and then we'll go into right into the scriptures. Father, thank you for your goodness and your grace. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your kindness. Thank you for your word. Thank you, Lord, that you've anchored us here in this place in your word. And I pray, Father, that we would stay anchored and not, uh, wander far from it. Father, I pray that you would just, uh, make it come alive to us. Do what only you can do and be glorified in it. Above all things, just be glorified, Lord, by, uh, by what we find in here, and we thank you, we praise you, we bless you in Jesus' holy name, Amen, Amen. <clears throat> so in man- in uh, Chronicles, Second uh, Chronicles, chapter thirty-three. Now it says here, Manasseh was twelve years old when he became king, and he reigned fifty-five years in Jerusalem. Couple things: Hezekiah was um, Manasseh's father. Hezekiah was a godly man. He had torn down some of the statues and some of the altars and some of the things, and he had tried to bring Israel or Judah back to worship of Yahweh. And Hezekiah died ingloriously. He 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 was the one who was who got sick, deathly ill. God sent him a prophet and said, "Hey, uh, you have uh, so many years. You know, get your order, get your things in order. You're going to die here real soon." Hezekiah sought God. God was um, <clears throat> pleased to, yeah, pleased to to be merciful and to be kind and to say, okay, well, I'll give you another fifteen years, and he did. But in doing so, he kind of he kind of led people to uh, to the riches and the glories of of what and uh, who Jerusalem and Judah are, and they came back and they were going to conquer him. But he was a godly man. He was a godly king. And here when he died, Manasseh, one of his sons, he was only 12 years old and he became king and he reigned 55 years. Second thing to keep in mind is that this was the longest, one of the longest reigns, if not the longest reign of any of the kings. But What we're going to have is we're going to have a B.C. era and an after era. It's going to it's it's a uh, it's one of these deals where where Manasseh when he was 12 years old just think about it this uh, this young boy becomes king of a nation. I mean imagine that being 12 and I would have been a horrible king. I still would be a horrible king right now. Um but Manasseh was 12 years old when he became king and he reigned 55 years. I mean, imagine that a 12-year-old boy being king. Hoy. Yeah. Today, he'd just be playing on his Minecraft. That's it. Hey, King, we got some important stuff. I'm playing. Yeah. Anyways. Um, he did evil in the sight of the Lord. This was from the get-go. This was a rebellious kid. This was a kid who saw his dad do what he did, and he was at an age where he could Begin to understand some of those things. But he was in rebellion right from the beginning. And it says here that what's recorded for us is he did evil in the sight of the Lord. According to what? To the abominations of the nations whom the Lord dispossessed before the sons of Israel. So the ones that God told him to go in and conquer and take care of and get rid of, he did those same things. What were they warned not to do? Way back in uh, when we were going through, um, uh, through Deuteronomy, Don't participate in all the things that they do. Do just the opposite, right? But he was—he did all these things according to the abominations of the nations whom the Lord dispossessed before the sons of Israel. Then he says, for he rebuilt the high places, which Hezekiah his father had broken down. This is straight up rebellion, and this is in your face. Oh yeah, Dad, well, I'm going to do things my way. Now what? Things you tore down, I'm going to build back up. I mean, this is flat-out rebellion. This is this is in-your-face type rebellion. He's going to show him something, a thing or two. And then he says he also erected altars for the Baals and made an Asherim, which is a pole. It was a carved pole that they would use in their worship services, and worshipped all the host of heaven and served them. Now here, the worshipped all the host of heaven. The word that's used there in the, um, in the, uh, Hebrew, it can mean a couple of things. One of the things it could mean, it could mean angel. There could have been angel worshiping going on here. Because the angels are called the host of heaven. But also the stars, the moon, the sun is the host of heaven also. And there was this worship of the stars and the moon and the, and the sun in these areas and all over the world. It's always been part of the deal. And that's what he was instituting here. In addition to, and right alongside, as we're going to see, he was doing them, and he was he was uh, bringing in made the ashram and worship all the host of heaven and served them. Where were they doing this in the high places? But also, he says in verse four, and he built altars for in the house of the Lord, of which the Lord had said, My name shall be in Jerusalem forever. For he built altars for all the host of heaven in the two courts of the house of the Lord. So within the temple. Imagine that. Imagine that. Yeah, sacred groves, things like that. And who knows the ungodly practices that took place in part of the worship. Uh, a lot of bit had been written about them and there's all kinds of debauchery and things that, that we don't need to mention, but you can just imagine the the horrible things that go on in these worship services. Um, and that's not all. That's just to begin with. He also was, uh, he says, he built the altars in the house of the Lord in verse 4, in which uh, the Lord had said, my name shall be in Jerusalem. He built the altars for all the host of heaven in the two courts of the house of the Lord. And he made his sons pass through the fire in the valley of Ben-Hinnom. And he practiced witchcraft. And that was um, is, um, uh, could be Chimosh, Milcom. Yeah, it's, uh, it's one of those deals where, um, they've seen pictures of them of a molten or bronze statue and they would heat up the arms that were held out like this and they would heat them up to where they were burning red hot and then they would place their sons and daughters on that, their babies on that. Today's is, uh, has a P and a P, and it's the same practice, sacrificing your children to the, to the false gods, to the demon gods. They just call it Planned Parenthood now to make it sound nicer. So that's, uh, that's the same types of things, and that's what, he was, that's what he was doing. And he was not only doing that by himself. He says that, that uh, he made his sons pass through the fire in the valley of Ben-Hinnom, um, which is, uh, would be later in the New Testament equal to the lake of fire, which is hell, Hades. Um, uh, and, uh, and he practiced witchcraft. So he didn't just allow it, he practiced witchcraft. By the way, witchcraft is always a bad deal. There's no such thing as good witchcraft, white witchcraft. You see it on TV all over the place. Oh no, those are bad witches. You know where we got indoctrinated with the idea that there was good witches one of the first places? Wizard of Oz, Disney movies, things like that. There's good wizardry. Very, very uh, um, dangerous stuff to be playing around with. But he practiced witchcraft and he used divination. And he practiced sorcery. These are three different things altogether. And he dealt with mediums. And, notice that he keeps and, 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 and. He's stacking one thing on top of the other. And he, he dealt with mediums and spiritists. That's uh, dealing with the dead. That is also an abomination. Necromancy. Speaking with the dead, seeking the dead. God condemns it strongly by saying, you practice this, you die. It's that simple. Um, and it says, as if he needed to say this, he says, he did much evil in the sight of the Lord, provoking him. It was almost he was he was saying, okay, God, if you're really God, and I think this is a case of a young boy who was a non-believer, who, in spite of what he saw in his dad and what he saw his dad do, and many of us go through this, and that's why I thought this was so important for us to understand, um, because my mom and dad were godly people. And I wasn't going to live the way that they lived because I didn't want to. Because I was a fallen, rotten sinner. I wanted to do things my way. So I can identify with this cat. I get I get this guy. I get him. I'm like him. And I would have practiced all these things had not God intervened in my life and given me parents that told me from the very beginning that this stuff is evil, God hates it, you need to be careful. So, I always had that kind of, uh, I don't know if I want to mess with God like that. I don't think I want to go that far. I'll go this far with my debauchery, but not that far. Yeah. So, but I get, I get where he's coming from. I understand. This guy was a bad dude. You know what the uh, picture that we see here? He was a sinner. He was someone who was a non believer. And why should we expect anything different? Because we read it in the Bible, oftentimes we get so focused on the fact that he's doing this to provoke God, um, as it says, um, that we somehow get this, we look down our nose at these kinds of things. How could this guy do this? It's like, how could he not? He's a sinner. And he was entrenched in that sin. He was 12 years old and he was influenced by all the things around him. He was just following along all the things that, other, that all the other people that he saw doing. And so he is um, he's provoking God to anger. And then it says, that's not enough. Verse 7, then he put carved images of the idol which he had made in the house of God, of which God had said to David and to uh, Solomon, his son, in this house in Jerusalem. Because remember, the other ones were put in the courts. They're outside. They're on the outer courts of the temple. Now he's saying, In this house in Jerusalem, which I have chosen from all the tribes of Israel, I will put my name forever. And I will not again remove the foot of Israel from the land which I have appointed for your fathers. By the way, there's your title deed for that land. This people. Right there. God himself saying, This is what I promise to these people. This is what I've given them. I have given it. Whose land was it to give? God's. Who did he give it to? To the people, his people, Israel. Yes. And so here we have that title deed that God is exclaiming. And he says, which I have appointed for your fathers, if only they will observe to do all that I have commanded them according to all the law, the statutes and the ordinances given through Moses. Verse 9. It wasn't enough to be personal, to be his own personal sin. It's funner to sin with other people. Can I get an amen? Yeah, it really is. I'm just being really honest right now, folks. (laughs) Because when you got other people to participate with you, Hey, it's it's a party. Yeah. People have this misnomer that, hey, you know, if I go to hell, you know, we'll just party all the time. That's all we're gonna do, dude. No, no, it ain't like that. It's nothing like that. But that's what the enemy would have us believe, right? And so it says that Manasseh misled Judah. Here's the king. You think he's got a little influence? He might have a little... uh, This guy might have some influence. And Manasseh misled Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem to do more evil. He's, He's cheering them on. Do this. Participate with me. It's a good thing. It's a great thing. It's a horrible, horrible picture that we're seeing here so far. He says, he... Encourage the inhabitants of Jerusalem to do more evil than the nations whom the Lord had destroyed before the sons of Israel. Excel in this. You know, in Ephesians, remember where where Paul says we're more than conquerors in Christ? We're uber conquerors. We're beyond conquering. He's saying the same thing. Do this in your sin, in your pursuit of this with greediness. Outdo the people who lived here. Let's make a name for ourselves. They thought they had fun. We're going to show them what real fun is. This is the mentality that's being spoken of here. This is this is the picture that's being painted for us. And he said that he drove the people and encouraged them to do even more. That's not all. I want to turn for a minute to... Um, Second Kings, because in Second Kings, um, let me see if I can. Second Kings twenty one, and you don't have to turn with me there unless you want to. Second Kings twenty one, and it's I'm just going to read uh, um, one uh, particular uh, verse in uh, <clears throat> Second Kings twenty one, and it's not included. Uh, the The account that you have there is virtually word for word. With the exception of a few things. And one of the few things is here in verse 16 of Second Kings 21:16, uh, it says, Moreover, Manasseh shed very much innocent blood until he had filled Jerusalem from one end to the other. So he was a bloody king. He was a murderer. So here you have a murderer, somebody who practices sorcery, witchcraft. He's making his children pass through the fire. He's doing all kinds of debauchery. He's, he's worshiping the hosts of heaven. He's making idols to worship. What is the first part of the Ten Commandments? No gods. There's no other gods. How many images shall you make? None. None. You shall make no images. There are no images that can uh, represent who God is. This is Why? He is so unique, there's nothing that can represent Him on the earth. Everything on earth is created. Everything in the universe is created. He is the creator. Nothing can represent who and what He is. It would be unholy, and it would be sinful to do so. And so you have this picture. He he had shed innocent blood and filled Jerusalem from one end of the other, Uh, from one end to the other, and besides his sin, with which he made Judah to sin in doing evil in the sight of the Lord. He encouraged this. That would be a horrible place to stop if we stopped there, wouldn't it? Now God, being rich in His mercy, this is what takes place here. Um, He's done all these things, and in verse 10... which is kind of what I wanted to start focusing on. As bad as all those things were, and as bad as before we, we make our judgment on Manasseh, we could be right to do so if we stopped here. But let's continue on. In verse 10 he says, And the Lord spoke to Manasseh and his people, but they paid no attention. So here you have God warning. God has not stopped trying to reach his people and he's doing so by speaking to their leader to the one who should be leading them in righteousness because the kings of israel were a picture of the king who is to come who will lead us in righteousness perfect righteousness who will lead us in perfect holiness who will lead us in perfect love okay and he says it says here in verse 10 that god came to him um and he spoke with Manasseh through the prophets it says if you read through second uh, kings 21 you'll see that that uh, very specifically it says that uh, this is one of the additions that is not in second chronicles is that god says he spoke to him and he spoke to him through his prophets he sent them to warn him stop this stop it before it's too late why Remember what the curses were in Deuteronomy. That if they persisted in their disobedience, that God would what? He would send in other nations to destroy them. To take away their place. To do harm. Because God is just. And He requires that justice be done. He's never unjust, and he will never do injustice. He will only and can only do justice. So God warns him in his love and in his mercy and his great patience, he's warning him over and over and over again is the implication that we're getting here. Maybe even by reminding him, remember what your dad did. Remember who your dad was. Remember who your dad feared. But he persisted and then in then uh, verse eleven starts off with those ominous ominous words. Paul writes this word a lot in his writings, but here it's ominous. Therefore, God warns them. He says, "Therefore, because because why? Because the end of verse uh, verse ten, they paid no attention. They just blew it off. Meh. Nah, what's God gonna do?" Has God done anything to us? What are we worried about? There's a lot of people around the world today that profess to be Christians that have that attitude. That have apostatized in the sense that they "Ah, God's God's not going to judge us. He, He loves us too much. What they have wrong is yes, he loves us too much to let us continually get away with it. He loves us that much. So it says here in verse 11, Therefore the Lord brought the commanders of the army of the king of Assyria and took them, and they captured Manasseh with hooks, bound him with bronze chains, and took him to Babylon. By the way, uh, I was looking at um, one of the Jerusalem uh, posts, um, history, historical writings that they have in their traditions. They believe what he's talking about... Manasseh here. They believed that they had put him in a dungeon and they were continuously torturing this guy, doing all manner of evil and wickedness towards him, to shame him. And as a result, look at what happens. He's, therefore, the Lord brought the kings and they bound him. So imagine that. Here's the king and they put hooks through his nose, presumably. The jaw, the hook, whatever, the, whatever it was they were leading them. Imagine your king being drug off most likely naked dragging them before you. And he, the king, has to endure this. Yeah. Forced in chains. It would be painful. Because you know those guys, they're not waiting for you, they're going to keep yanking and pulling. So they put hooks and they bound him with bronze chains and took him to Babylon. And then verse 12 and when he was in distress, because that wasn't enough distress. And that's what sin sometimes does to us. When we go so long, sometimes we don't think that, hey, God's not paying attention. God's not really watching. God's not going to do anything. God always gets his man. And here it says it's interesting that it says it this way. That and when he was in distress, he then what he entreated. He he was uh, he entreated the Lord his God. And notice that because a lot of times they'll write purposely. He entreated the Lord his father's God, their God, his God. It's becoming personal now. He entreated the Lord his God and humbled himself greatly. He didn't just humble himself. He humbled himself greatly. This is true brokenness. This is someone who's come to the end of himself. This is similar to the uh to the um, uh young man who who uh, uh um, demanded from his dad, give me my inheritance now, essentially proclaiming his dad is dead to him. I want my inheritance now. It's akin to that idea. And it's similar to that story in that when The son was uh, feeding hogs, their pods. Here's this Jewish kid. That's unclean, y'all. The idea of them mixing themselves up with pigs is repulsive. And he's feeding them pods. And he wants this food. Man, if I could just eat like this. Think about that. I could eat like these pigs, that would be great. That's a pretty low place, right? That's brokenness. The king was here. He was broken. And he entreated God. You know what this smacks of? It smacks of regeneration. It smacks of repentance. Because of a realization of the sinfulness that was in his heart. And who did he turn to? In the part of that um, part of that article that I was reading in the Jerusalem Post um, uh, uh, archives, one of the things that they also wrote that said, presumably he probably at first sought those false gods, but they had no answer. They never do. So he entreats finally at the end of himself, he turns to the one God who can hear because he has ears to hear with. He, he turns to the God who can understand what he's going through and and have desire for him because he has a heart who loves and is full of love. He turns to a God who can change him in his circumstance. And I want you to watch what, what goes, what is written here. He he. He entreats the Lord his God, <clears throat> because he humbled himself greatly before God and and, and uh, before the God of his fathers. It was not just his father's God; it's his God, and he prayed to him. That sounds like coming before the thrones of grace with confidence, doesn't it? He turned to the God of Abraham. He prays to him. Was he in the temple? No. Was he uh, worthy? No. None of those things. All he knew is that there's a God who's real. And I can turn to him. He turns and he prays to, to him, to the God of heaven. He was moved by his entreaty. This I don't know how many years have gone by. We're not told here. We're not told how far along in his kingship that he's done this. We don't know if it's half of those 25 years. We don't know. We just know that here's a guy who's broken, who has rebelled against God to his face, provoked him to anger. And now he's in a place where he's turning to God. You know, a lot of people would say, that's not right. He should make amends. He should do all this other stuff in order to get himself right before God to go. And they might even say that it's not right for God to respond to this guy, not the way that he acted. And sometimes we have that attitude within us. And we need to get rid of that. Because God will find us where we're at. Right where we're at. And in our brokenness is when he responds. And here he says... He prays to him. God is moved by his prayers. He was moved by his entreaty and heard his supplication and brought him again to Jerusalem, to his kingdom. He sets the guy free. Now that'll preach. He sets him free. He sets him free from his bondage. He sets him free from the prison that held him. He sets him free from his prison, in his imprisonment and from those persecutors who oppressed him daily. He set him free. Indeed. And not only that, he brings him back to his place, to his people. But that's not enough for God. Because God's love is so powerful and amazing and incredible that he will not only restore those things, he redeems. A broken people. He redeems a sinful person. He makes them new and reconciles them to Himself. You getting all the R's? Go back to the message and get all the R's. There's a lot of R's. There's reflection. There's the realization. There's regeneration. There's repentance. There is redemption. There is reconciliation. And there is restoration here. Here he brings all these things. He brings them back to his kingdom. And then uh, Manasseh knew that the Lord was God. You know what that tells me? Manasseh, in his redemption, God bringing him back, says, only God can do this. Only God can take me from where I was and the things that I'm guilty of. And bring me back. But he didn't just bring him back to his people. He brought him back to his former position. He was still king. Now there's reformation. Now there's no longer rebellion. Now there's this resolve to live for God. You get all those R's. There's a lot of R's in here. (laughs) A resolve. And not only that, he's going to try to reform the people. From the things that he formerly encouraged them to do, now he's going, stop. Let's go back to God. This is where we belong. This is the only thing that will help us. This is the only thing that will cure us. This is the only one who can make us new. Who can renew us. There's renewal. There's renewal. And he tries to bring this reformation back. Let's continue to read. Um, and he brings the... the uh, And he said, Then Manasseh knew that the Lord was God. And in verse 14, Now after this he built the outer wall of the city of David on the west side of, of Gihon in the valley, um, even to the entrance of the fish gate. And he encircled the Ophel with it and made it very high. Then he put army commanders in all the fortified cities of Judah. You know what he's acting now? He's acting like a king. A responsible king. A king who cares about his people. He's acting more like a shepherd now. The contrast is amazing what God does in a person when he redeems them. It says that he also removed the foreign gods. God's. So he sets up these fortifications. He makes the armies stand at their posts like they're supposed to, like they should have done. And then he removes all the foreign gods. You're no longer welcome here. That's not who we are. We only have one God. And the idol from the house of the Lord. Imagine his, his uh, 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 um, excitement when he moved all that stuff out of the house of the Lord. His thrill of being in that place, and also the regret. Is he our God or their God? He's now worshiping the Lord our God. He's removing, he, he threw out all the foreign gods, all the ones that he formerly reveled in. Now he's seeking the one God, and he's telling the people, no, this is, this is the right thing to do. Reformation now is taking place um, because he has been renewed in his heart and uh, regenerated, and we see the evidences of this by all the things that he does. By the way, redemption will always bring that um, righteousness. But redemption will always be prior to righteousness. And so you see him working out in righteous ways now, now another R. And righteousness, the pursuit of it, Is not the pursuit of it on our own, in our own flesh, in our own strength. It's the pursuit, the desire, to live as God would have us live. Because He is holy. And not only that, because we're clothed in the righteousness of Christ, our sins are forgiven, far removed from us. We have the desire to live in a way that we never have before. Right? We desire that. That is what we begin to do in the pursuit of righteousness to live in those ways to glorify God not for the sake of doing it ourselves but for the purpose of glorifying God he says he uh, he also removed the foreign gods and the idol from the house of the Lord as well as all the altars which he had built and the mountain on the house of the Lord um, in Jerusalem and he threw them outside the city you know what was outside the city? Gehenum. Yeah, the place where he had formerly made his children to pass. Now he's put these foreign gods out there. They can all go to hell. Is what he's saying. He's learned. He's been renewed. He's been restored. He's been reconciled. He's been remade. There's another art, And it says... That not only did He do all those those things, He threw them outside the city. Verse 16, He set up the altar of the Lord and sacrificed peace offerings. And then what? And thank offerings on it. I need to have peace with God. Remember, that's what was the, the temple was there for. So you could know that you had peace with God. And then thankfulness. He's gone from rebellion to thankfulness. That will do a lot in our lives, just to be in that position, to be in a place of thankfulness. He knew what he had deserved. He'd gotten a little taste of what was to come if he'd continued. But God in His mercy. This isn't a picture about Manasseh doing amazing things, although it is that picture. It's a bigger picture of God's mercy. It's a bigger picture of God's grace. God didn't have to do this. God could have justifiably punished, condemned, and judged Manasseh right where he was at. But only a God of love, a God of mercy, a God of forgiveness, a God of kindness, a God of loving kindness, a God of everlasting loving kindness, could hear the prayers of a sinful, scornful man and turn and turn this man into a godly man. That's just an amazing story. This is grace. This is the gospel here. This is God working in the midst of a man who was the leader of a country who had defied God. And God stepped in and drew him with his kindness. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 And that's why it was so encouraging, this this story that that I had forgotten. And I knew about Manasseh, and I had that view. He was an evil king. I had forgotten the wonders of God in his life. I had forgotten the wonders of His grace in his life. And how He restores lives. And how He renews them. He set up these altars, these peace offerings and thank offerings, and He ordered Judah to serve the Lord God of Israel. Sad, one of the saddest lines in this whole story is verse 17. Nevertheless, the people still sacrificed in the high places, although only, now listen, only to the Lord their God. We'll worship God our way. Yeah. Compromise is a horrible place. Okay? Sad, sad picture there. He wanted to reform. They were stuck. They were unwilling to go all the way. And many Christians, so-called, are in that place today. They're not willing to go all the way. They're only willing to go so far. And I've been guilty of that in my past. I have been. And we can be guilty of that. We have to be careful. When we know it, recognize it. There's another R. Recognize it and repent of it and move forward. And then, of course, it says, "Now the rest of the acts of Manasseh, even his prayer to his God and the words which are uh, what he are, uh, the words of the seer who spoke to him in the name of the Lord God of Israel. Behold, um, they are among the records of the kings of Israel." His prayer also and how God was entreated by him and all his sin, his unfaithfulness, and the sites on which he built the places and erected the ashram and the carved images before he humbled himself. Behold, they are written in the records of, of uh, the Hosea. So Manasseh slept. I wish we had those. Those would be awesome to read. That prayer, that entreaty. That would be amazing to hear how he prayed. So Manasseh slept with his fathers and they buried him. This is the picture of the gospel. The gospel in 2020 is the same as it was in the very first century. And when it started at Pentecost. It's the same gospel. When you hear another gospel, if you are truly born of God, you will know you're hearing another gospel. And you will not receive it. And it's our job and our duty as Christians, and not duty in the sense that we have to do it whether we like it or not. It's our duty as Christians to be able to recognize it, to warn people. There's only one gospel. And if any deviation is within that so-called gospel that you're hearing, you've got some problems. You need to rectify that. You need to be aware that there's only one God who is righteous. And that God who can forgive a man like Manasseh can surely forgive you and me. As bad as this guy was, in the end, he repented and he's in the hall of faith. I believe one day when time is done, when we're in the presence of God, I believe there we will see Manasseh, our brother. Because this is the work of grace. And the gospel is the one that brings us this grace and the realization of this grace. And this is what is important. It brings us to the place where it was all focused on, what it was all pointing to. It brings us to the place of the cross. We just passed the Advent season where the expected coming of Christ has been realized, where the candle, the Christ candle was lit, the light of the world. But men love darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. They were wicked. We're like Manasseh. We're like Manasseh. God, in His mercy and His grace, has sent His Son so that we can know. That Jesus paid that price on the cross. And the uh, I want to read the communion uh, portion of our of our message from Luke. <clears throat> Because in Luke 22, we have the uh, account given about um, the communion. And what a, gro- what a glorious time that the first of the year we get to be able to open up the year of, of worship in our Sunday services with communion. And remember, remember what he has done. Remember that he died, but that he didn't stay dead. He rose again on the third day. So in Luke chapter 22, um, verses 15 through 21, Uh, let's see, uh, Luke chapter 22, well, uh, let me start in verse 14, and when the hour had come, he reclined at the table, um, and the apostles with him, so remember this is right before his crucifixion, they're up in the upper room, they're about to partake of a meal, what meal was it? Well, he's going to tell us in verse 15, and this is the words of Jesus. And he said to them, "I have earnestly desired to eat this what this Passover with you before I suffer." That's important. Because remember what um, um, <clears throat> when Jews for Jesus was here, um, that the third cup. is an important. It's the Passover meal. And this is what Jesus says, I've been looking forward to eating this with you guys. He began his ministry and he's looking forward to this time. This is right before he's going to be betrayed. I'm looking forward to eating this meal with you guys. He says, I've been earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. He's acknowledging what's coming. but He's not focused on that. He's focused on, I desire to eat this with you guys. To partake of this. This Passover. This would be the one Passover that really mattered. This is the Passover of all Passovers. This is the one blood that needs to mark the doorposts and the lintels of our hearts. And says it uh, in verse 16, For I say to you, I shall never again eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And when he had taken a cup and given thanks, he said, Take this. Share it amongst yourselves. For I say to you, for I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine from now on until the kingdom of God comes. Now that's one of the cups. Here's the other part that's to come in verse 19. And when he had, he had taken some bread, now he's taking some bread. And that's, I think, is important because there was a certain way that he did that. And so he takes his bread and he broke it and he gave it to them. Saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. This is where Paul writes about this in 1 Corinthians 11. He says, do this in remembrance of me. And then he says, and in the same way, he took the cup. Now this is a different cup. This is that third cup, which is known as the cup of redemption. The cup of redemption. He says this cup. Which is poured out for you. Is the new covenant in my blood. What new covenant. The one that Jeremiah spoke of in Jeremiah 31. 29 through 32. And it says in those days. They will not say again. The fathers have eaten sour grapes. And the children's teeth are set on edge. But everyone will die for his own iniquity. Each man who eats the sour grapes. His teeth will be set on edge. And then in verse 31. It says behold. Days are coming declares the Lord. When I will make what? A new covenant. With the house of Israel. And with the house of Judah. Not like the covenant which I made with their fathers. In the day I took them by the hand. To bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant which they broke. Although I was a husband to them. Declares the Lord. That is the new covenant it was realized here in this moment jesus was specifically talking about this here so that we could know that in the new covenant we can partake by grace and then it says in verse 21 but behold, the hand of the one who betrayed me is with me on the table. For indeed, the Son of Man is going as it is determined. But woe to that man by whom it is betrayed. Now the reason why I included that, because of this. There's a... Uh, uh, there's a movement right now in, in the, within the Christian realm where people are so offended at the idea of God predestining things and people to salvation. But here is one of those pictures where Jesus himself says, for indeed the Son of Man is going as it has been what? Determined. It's already been written. Not just been predicted. It's been told that this is what's going to happen. Now listen, this is the most important thing. But woe to that man by whom he is betrayed. What does that spell out? Even though there is a determined work of God, a decree that he calls into being and to come to pass, even so man bears responsibility. And that's one of the biggest arguments that people have against this idea of God predestining people. Well, then how can people be responsible? Well, Jesus believes that they are. He says, woe to that man by whom is betrayed. Was it told that someone would betray Jesus? Thousands of years before it happened? Yes. And so whether he was specifically the one chosen, or whether it was at that moment uh, when he was birthed that, that that became the reality, It doesn't matter. He bore the responsibility. Just like in the Old Testament, you see over and over and over again, God used nations to come in to judge Israel. And then what did He do? He judged those nations. Why? Because they disobeyed Him. They bore the responsibility for their disobedience. Man bears that responsibility. There's no inconsistency in God. And that's the reason why I mentioned that. Even though we're focused on the communion here we have that whole idea written into what Jesus Himself said on the day he was betrayed, the very within the very few hours before he was betrayed. We're to remember the man bears his responsibility. And like Manasseh, who did bear those responsibilities, he recognized it, and he reckoned himself to God. And it sounds like he realized and professed to him how guilty and confessed his guilt and repented of his sin and was given forgiveness, restoration, redemption, reconciliation. He was given all these things because of what Jesus has done on the cross. The fact that he died and rose again on the third day. That's what we celebrate communion. Like Manasseh, we can go to him. Maybe we've struggled in the past year with something. Well, guarantee it's not as bad as what Manasseh did. If God can have mercy on Manasseh, he can have mercy on us. Let us not forget and be afraid to go to God and pour those things out that he might restore us and reform us and reconcile us so that we can be a very purposeful tool in his kingdom. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your goodness and your grace. I thank you, Lord, that this year, I pray that and believe that it's going to be a year of renewal, restoration, and reformation. And I thank you, Lord. A year of rebuilding, a year of hopefulness, all because of who you are. I love this story, Lord, of Manasseh. A king who was so wicked and evil. But a God who was more graceful. A God who was more merciful than his sin. A God who was more forgiving than his sin. A God who didn't overlook the sins of a broken, sinful man. But a God who's moved by the humility, the prayers of a godless king who became a king desired God and made God his king so that he could be a proper king. Lord, we thank you for the pictures of uh, all these things that we see. And this is a picture of the grace that you supply. That only you can pour forth. That only you can give out. That can only be realized by coming to you. And I pray, Lord, if there's anyone within the sound of my voice that if they don't realize that, that they would, like Manasseh did, they would reckon themselves before you, and they would repent. That you could regenerate them, and that you can redeem them, and that you can restore them. Lord, we thank you, and that you would they would be reconciled to their God. Father, we thank you that you are the God of of all these things, of all these R's within this message and that you would be our righteousness that you would be our rightful king and that you would be glorified and exalted in this place we thank you Lord for all these things and more in Jesus holy name, Amen